People have asked me to, to take a poll. How many of you are still whistling while you work? All right, keep it up. I had uh, two grandmothers that I loved very, very dearly. One of them lived next door to me. The other lived about four miles away. They were similar in that they were both hardworking women. They both raised their families during the Depression, and they just kind of never got over it. They worked hard for the rest of their lives. But that's about where the similarities uh, end. One of my grandmothers was no nonsense in, in every way. She wore plain grandma dresses and wore clumpy grandma shoes. Her one bit of flair was the little bit of lipstick that she would put on uh, Sunday mornings before church. But then she would stand in front of the mirror with a Kleenex and bite, bite, bite till there was no color left. And then she would look in the mirror, give a satisfied look, and off we would go to church. And we said, what just happened here? Her relationships were kind of like her plain clothes and her colorless lips. They were no nonsense, and they were not very warm and welcoming. And I have a really specific memory of when I was just a, a little boy, about 20 years ago. And uh, <laughs> you'll know I'm lying when I tell you where I was with my grandmother. We were in the A&P grocery store. If you even remember those, and this is a very vivid memory, we were in the, the fruit and vegetable section when this woman called my grandmother's name and she came over to talk to her. And I didn't know what to do with that. I looked up at this woman and I thought, silently, you mean you like my grandmother? You, you want to talk to her? I, I didn't have a place in my mind for somebody liking my grandmother. I loved her dearly and, and more so through the years, but I couldn't imagine that anyone else would love her. My other grandmother was the opposite. Whether it was for church or just to run to the store for a quart of milk, she always put on her hat, heels, makeup, gloves, and off she would go. And her personality was as lively as her clothing. She took time to get to know everybody, and everybody knew her. She was forever hosting dinners at her house, homemade meals at an all-seat-filled dinner. Wednesday nights, she never missed going door-to-door with her Baptist church, taking the gospel house to house. At her funeral, the church was so full, the choir couldn't even come out of the choir loft, and they set up chairs around the sanctuary, and still it wasn't enough. It was standing room only. So until my early adult years, I had this dichotomous example of how to have relationships, of how to interact with other people, and I saw the results of both. I saw the, the sadness of opportunities missed with one grandmother, and I saw the blessings of opportunities seized with the other. And with those seized opportunities, I saw kingdom blessing and kingdom growth that happen when you're invested and interested in others. And so this morning, we kind of have that choice, Granny A or Granny B, you know? Are we going to miss opportunities? See, that's not difficult to do. That just means that we don't engage. We don't show interest. We don't invest in others. But if we choose to seize the opportunity, that means that we are choosing to invest. It means that we are choosing to work to develop healthy, peaceful relationships in our lives. Extroverts might have a hundred of those relationships. Introverts might have one, but it doesn't matter. What does matter 
is that all of us understand that those relationships provide fertile ground for the gospel to flourish and the kingdom to grow. Those relationships provide fertile ground for the gospel to flourish and the kingdom to grow. And that's my prayer that what we'll see this morning as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 33. So I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles to turn in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 33. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And once you've found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Deuteronomy 33, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. And now verse 24. About Asher, he said, Most blessed of sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brothers, and let him bathe his feet in oil. The bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze, and your strength will be equal to your days. Let's pray together. Heavenly Fathers, always, always we thank you for your word. We honor your word. That's why I stand in this pulpit to preach it and why we stand together to hear it read. Because we know that it is truth for our lives in this world. So now as we come together around your word, we call on you, Spirit of God, to give us understanding of your word. We call on you, Spirit of God, to Join with the truth of the word to bring about the transformation that you promise. We want to be the people you've called us to be. We want to do the things you've called us to do. So by your power, enable us to accomplish those things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I was telling someone after our community group leader summit yesterday that I felt a little bit like an addict. I can't imagine life without Deuteronomy. I'm not kidding. I, I, I get the shakes just, just thinking about it. But that's not why I'm prolonging our study in it, and that's not why we are not going to finish all of this blessing for Asher today. See how I slipped that in there? The reason we're in Deuteronomy so long is because this book is so rich. Because everywhere in the book of Deuteronomy, the gospel is prefigured. Jesus beautifully fulfills it. So why should we rush through it? More Deuteronomy, more Jesus. That's a good thing, right? But poor Gray. I asked Gray to schedule a party. We're going to celebrate when we finish Deuteronomy. It was supposed to be last Sunday. Not going to happen. Anyway, all that to say... We're only going to look at a small part of this blessing to Asher this morning. The first part of verse 24. So look there. Most blessed of sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brother. Clearly this blessing differs from some of the others in that this blessing is in the form of a prayer. We might call it a prophetic prayer. Because Moses is inspired by the Spirit of God to make this pronouncement, to make this prayer. So that means that there is no possibility that it will not come true. That Asher will not be favored. God will bring this prophetic prayer 
to pass. But since it is a prayer, we would do well to consider the interplay between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Will God fulfill this prayer in spite of the people of Asher? Or will the people of Asher partner with God, knowing this beautiful future that he has for them to bring it to pass? In other words, can the people of Asher be disinterested in others? Can their relationships be no-nonsense, without any flair or color or intentionality, and still experience the favor of others? Or... Will the favor that they receive from others be because they are living their lives as God has commanded them to live, intentionally investing in the lives of others? Either answer is possible, because here is the good news. God is not bound by our right behavior, and God is not bound by our disobedience either. He can override all of that to accomplish his purpose. But here's the thing. When we partner with God and when we seek to walk with Him and and live with Him, you and I put ourselves in a better position to experience the fullness of the blessing of the Lord. So when this prophetic prayer is fulfilled, however it is fulfilled, Asher is going to be the favorite among all his brothers. And Asher's brothers are, of course, all the other 11 tribes of Israel. The multitude of them, they're going to like Asher. They're going to accept Asher. They're going to take pleasure in being with him. They're going to be fond of him. They're going to enjoy being around him. All of these are nuances of this word favored. And so let me just say that this blessing is huge. It is huge. And I think the only way for us to be struck by both the magnitude of the blessing and the abnormality of the blessing and the fact that it will only come to pass by the power of the Spirit of God, that will only happen when we quickly canvas brother relationships in Scripture. Who are the first brothers we meet in human history? Cain and Abel, right? Man had existed before, woman had existed, husband, wife, but never brothers. These two are the first. They're the prototype. And so I find myself wishing that their relationship had been the perfect prototype for all brothers who would follow. This is the way to be brothers. Look at how they favored one another. Look at how they accepted one another. Look at how they enjoyed being together. That would have been great, right? I realize that sin is in the world and it has its impact. But I just wonder why the extreme brokenness couldn't have waited and say between brothers seven or eight, you know? Instead of number one and two, then we could kind of explain it away. Well, you know, Adam and Eve getting a little older, getting a little tired, or, you know, the parenting thing, they're over it. You know how the youngest gets away with murder? (laughs) Literally, in this case. But it's a reminder to us, it's a warning to us that what God so highly values, Satan seeks to destroy. What God highly values, Satan seeks to destroy. God so highly values favor in relationships. 
God so highly values healthy and whole relationships among his people that those very relationships become the target of the enemy, the place where he seeks to enter. And how does he enter in Cain and Abel? It's through envy. Cain could not accept his brother Abel. He could not favor Abel. He could not enjoy being with Abel because he was so envious of him. Abel had something that Cain wanted. Abel did, in fact, have the favor of the Lord. But Abel had that favor because he did what was right. He offered right offerings with a right heart to the Lord. Cain did neither of those. But Cain, very much like we often are, was unwilling to look within, to examine his own heart. Could the source of the brokenness in their relationship, the lack of favor, could that lie within Cain himself? Nah. (laughs) Isn't that always our answer? Not my fault. It's the other person's fault. And so it was with Cain. Even after God came to Cain and said, Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Cain could never accept that his own sin was the reason that he could not look on his brother with favor. And so Abel would pay for that, and he did. We know the story. Cain killed Abel. And so it's no small thing that Asher will experience the favor of his brothers. Fast forward, Jacob and Esau, two brothers, twins in fact. Jacob favored by his mother, Esau favored by his father. There was strife in the home. Jacob and his mother schemed to steal the birthright that that, uh, belonged to Esau. And when their scheme succeeded, Jacob had to, to flee so his brother wouldn't kill him. Many years later, Jacob decides, I want to go home, but he comes back with fear and trembling. If I try to go back, Esau's going to kill me. And so he bribes his brother Esau, so Esau won't kill him. It's messed up. It's no small thing that Asher will be favored of his brothers. We fast forward to Joseph. All 11 of his brothers hated him. And so they threw him in a pit and they left him for dead, but then they changed their mind. That was too harsh. No, we'll sell him as a slave. Instead, imagine the hate that you have to have to watch your brother be chained up and dragged off as a slave. And so it's no small thing that Asher will experience the favor of his brothers. We can fast forward to the New Testament, to those famous brothers that Jesus talks about in his parable, the older brother and the prodigal brother. When the prodigal brother returns to the home of his father, The older brother refuses to celebrate. Jesus said that he was angry and he refused to go in. And so his father came out and entreated him. But the older brother said, look, I'm making up these voices. I don't know how they said it. Look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. So envy and self-righteousness in the older brother made him miss the point. 
So his father had to spell it out to him. You, son, older brother, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, the reality is that the older brother's relationship was never threatened, never altered by the father's relationship with the younger brother. But envy and self-righteousness prevented the older brother from celebrating that his younger brother was alive. And so you see, it's no small thing that Asher will experience the favor of his brothers. Cain, Abel, Jacob, Esau, Joseph, the prodigal son, the older brother, they all share the same blood, which means the intimacy and the closeness of their relationship should be like none other, but it was not. That reality bears witness to the fact that it will absolutely take the blessing of the Lord for this blessing on Asher to come to pass. Too much militates against this blessing ever becoming a reality, humanly speaking. Too much envy, too much jealousy, too much competition, too much insecurity, too much lack of identity, too much self-interest, too much self-righteousness, too intense an attack of the enemy on healthy, whole relationships. Now, when we hear those things, we know that they really exist in this world, don't they? We know that those very things plague our lives and our relationships as well. And so it'd be easy for us to just give up and be undone. Lord, it's never going to happen. Healthy relationships are too difficult. But listen again to the blessing. Moses, most blessed of sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brothers. In some way, this tribe is going to be winsome in the eyes of others. God is going to make it so. The prosperity that is clearly going to come upon this tribe, we'll look at that next week. It's not going to be a source of envy among the other tribes. The other tribes are going to celebrate the success that God gives to Asher. God will make it so. And let's keep it real. Can we get real for just a minute? Let's think about where things should be right. Let's think about pastors. Let's think about some church members. They can't celebrate the success of another gospel preaching church. It's true, especially if that other church has more success than they have. We're not for them, we're against them. Is that true? Am I crazy? Say I'm not crazy. I am not crazy. When Asher rises to great heights, Among the tribes, the other tribes are not going to say, tear him down, tear him down. Asher will have the favor of his brothers. God will make it so. It's got to be the work of God. And so it has to be in our lives as well. God makes healthy, peaceful relationships through the perfect brother. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory... It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer, that's Jesus, of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy 
And those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the assembly, and I will sing your praises. Jesus is the perfect brother. I'll give you another chance. Jesus is the perfect brother. And so here Jesus, our elder brother, has made healthy, peaceful relationships possible between us and God. And through Jesus, our brother, God is bringing many other sons and daughters to glory. Let's have a John Piper quote. It's always a good day if you can quote John Piper. He writes, in other words, the reason it's fitting for Christ to suffer, to lead many sons to glory, and thus many brothers into brotherhood and glory, is that this suffering expresses his being a good, beautiful, comrade brother. All of this hangs on God's aim to create a family that is so unified and so deeply interwoven and empathetic that the family would be jeopardized, would be undermined if the perfect oldest brother does not go through all the pain of the rest of the children. It's the combination of the exalted uniqueness of Jesus as the Son of God on the one hand and His utter condescension to share our nature as humans and our suffering as fallen mortals, also that He could be included and we could be included in the divine family with Christ as the ever-exalted, superior, unique, divine, older brother. We are blessed with the best brother ever in Jesus. We are blessed with the best father ever who is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And because of him, we are able to have healthy, peaceful relationships with each other. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Another long quote. As I said last week, it's cooler in here than it is out there. So relax. But it's not very cool up here. Lordy. Killing. (laughs) That's the extent of it. Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So when we partner with God in the gospel, and all that he has made possible through it, we get over ourselves so that relationships can be healed and restored and healthy and peaceful. 
I'm full of quotes this morning. Can't help it. This is one from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the most famous preachers of the 20th century. He says, The peacemaker is the one who's not always looking at everything in terms of the effect it has on himself. Now, is not that the whole trouble with us by nature? We look at everything as it affects us. What's the reaction on me? What's it going to mean to me? And the moment we think like that, there is of necessity war because everyone else is thinking the same thing. Translation, get over yourself. It's not always about you all the time. And as long as it is always about you all the time, don't expect to have healthy, peaceful relationships. Listen, God blesses at least for three reasons. He gives blessing on us for our good, for his glory, and for the growth of his kingdom. He blesses us for our good, for his glory, and for the growth of his kingdom. And so we know that this blessing of favor, when it's bestowed, it is for our good. Doesn't it feel good to have healthy relationships in your life? Right? They're a source of joy for us. We know that it's for his glory because when relationships are healthy, we know that that is the work of the gospel, that God's plan really works. And so he gets the glory for that, right? But he also bestows a blessing on us for the growth of the kingdom. And so Asher needs to ask this question, Lord, how will this blessing on our tribe advance your kingdom? When Asher has the favor of people, when people are coming to them, when people are eager to listen to them, Asher then has an opportunity to point the entire nation to the Lord. And because Asher is favored by everyone, when Asher points, people are going to go into the direction of the finger and where it points. And so it is the same for you and for me. When we have healthy relationships in our lives, when they're not marked by strife and envy and competition, when people actually like us, when they want to be around us, you and I have a natural avenue to speak into their lives, and we have an opportunity to be a gospel influence. That's why Jesus wants right relationships among people. It's why Jesus teaches as he does. Matthew 5, I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. See, Jesus seeks healthy Restored relationships for us because they provide fertile ground where the gospel flourishes and the kingdom grows. Matthew 18. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Jesus seeks healthy, restored relationships for us because they provide fertile ground where the gospel flourishes and the kingdom grows. Matthew 18. Then Jesus came and asked Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to 70 times? 
Jesus answered, I tell you, not 70 times, but 70 times seven. Jesus seeks healthy, restored relationships for us because they provide fertile ground where the gospel flourishes and the kingdom grows. Especially when we extend this beyond ourselves and our church family to all the relationships in our lives. Yesterday, we had a great community group leaders summit. So let me just say thank the Lord for that. There are like 55 people that came out for it. So community groups are going to be good this year. We are ready to go, right? We are excited. We are ready to see what the Lord is going to do through our community groups. But during that summit, we talked specifically about people of peace. And this is a term that Caesar Kalinowski uses in his book, Small is Big, Slow is Fast. And Caesar's held a couple of conferences right here. We've hosted them. He's, he's preached a couple of times from this pulpit. And he says that people of peace are, are those people in our lives that, that like us. Or to use the language of the Asher blessing, people whose favor we enjoy. People of peace are, are people who are open to you. They know you. They know you're a Christian. And they like you anyway. Isn't that amazing? They're people who seem to be uh, leaning into a relationship with you. People who may even have some interest in your quote-unquote spirituality. Caesar bases this idea of, of people on, of peace on Luke chapter 10. Jesus in that passage is sending the 72 out to do ministry because he tells them that the, the harvest is great, but the workers are few, and so he, he sends them out. And he says, whenever you enter someone's house, say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. Summarize, Jesus is saying, stay where people are open to you and tell them the gospel. Stay where people are open to you and tell them the good news of the gospel. God's going to put people of peace in our lives. People who are going to invite you into their life. And as long as they are doing that, you stay put. They could be your friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, people you know from the gym, people you meet through your kids' sports teams. I don't know. But for some reason, God has given you favor with them. And if you have their favor, you also have their interest. And do you have their interest and their favor, then you probably have their ear as well. And you have an opportunity to speak the gospel into their lives. And so for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the harvest that's plentiful, we cannot squander the favor we have with others. We squander it when we keep it to ourselves and say, oh, I'm so glad that so many people like me. Oh, it feels so good. I'm such a great person. No, that's squandering the relationship. We have to see the favor of others as a blessing from the Lord and ask the Lord what to do next in that relationship. Lord, what do I do next with this person? What's another gospel step that I can take?
Lord, how can I reorient and reorder my life so that I have opportunities to spend time and invest in this person of peace? These aren't bland relationships, colorless, no lipstick, no nonsense. These relationships are are bold and risky and the table always full relationships that God has favored you and me with. And so enjoy them. Just enjoy them. They feel good to have these people in our lives. Glorify God for them. The gospel is why you have them. And use them to build the kingdom. Most blessed of sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brothers. Our father, yours and mine, loves deeply. He is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. That's a fact. And that son or daughter just might be your person of peace. You never know. So, Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And may your person of peace find peace with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we end as we began thanking you for your word and the truth of it and the richness of it and the fullness of it. We thank you when your spirit puts the brakes on and doesn't allow us to speed past what seems like not the most important verse or part of this blessing. And yet it is, Lord, so amazing that your favor would rest on people. And Father, we do pray that in our lives, you would give us favor in the eyes of others. And Lord, as you do that, help us not squander the opportunities that you bring into our lives, the people that you bring into our lives. Or give us the boldness and the faith to know that we can be interested in others, that we can invest in others. When we ask you, you'll show us how. You'll show us the time. You'll show us what to do. When we come humbly before you, Lord, in prayer with these people that you have entrusted, these relationships that you have entrusted to us, and say, Lord, what next? We know you'll show us the way. Because here's your heart, Lord, to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And you're going to do it through people like us who invest in healthy relationships who reorient our lives to be available to you so that your kingdom might grow. Thank you for what you'll do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.